Welcome, beautiful thinkers. So that was a clip from a new friend, <laughs> this interview with uh, my friend Prasad, and he's going to tell us some stories about spiritual development, about growing up in perhaps some unusual circumstances and the heights of spiritual advancement, I suppose, or the uh, rapid spiritual advancement in some unusual ways, and also about the problems that can arise when you do have a close friend or a mentor or a business partner, and things start to change in the relationship. And when the relationship changes, when the dynamic or the status of the relationship changes, sometimes it can cause a lot of friction. So Prasad describes his experiences with those kinds of events. If you enjoy this episode, if you enjoy the podcast, please feel free. I invite you, I encourage you to share it with your friends. You can send them a quick message on social media, Facebook message, Telegram, Instagram, Signal, or WhatsApp, and tell them, please listen to this wonderful episode because it's going to enrich your life in these ways. Give them a little reason to listen so other people can enjoy it as much as you do. Thank you so much for doing that. Let's begin. This is a beautiful thought. <laughs> I'm here with Prasad, and he's going to tell us a story about a difficult beginning to to his life and, and a, a spiritual journey that came out as as a result. And the story begins somewhere around 2003, where you're working as an actor or looking looking for work in Los Angeles and doing various things. What what's life like for you? Sure, 2003. I had been in LA for four years. I moved out at age 20 to LA to pursue acting. And with the acting, I was always fascinated by psychology. Hmm. What motivates us, right? Why do we do yeah. what we do? You know, acting 101, the big joke is, what's my motivation, right? <laughs> and, and so um, at 14, I had said, you know, I want to be a professional actor. And so it had always fascinated me, psychology and even like hearing about the Oedipal complex when I was 18 or 19 and reading Sophocles and Oedipus. I was like, wow, that's fascinating. Freud is Are reading who? Uh, Sophocles. He wrote Oedipus. Yeah. Sophocles. Uh, okay. he, he, that's how uh, Freud developed the Oedipus complex is uh -huh. reading that play with, you know, yeah, I don't, won't go into that story. <laughs> Anyways, <Okay. laughs> that, that, that fascinated me. Um, <laughs> uh, and so in 2003, being in LA, wanting to be an actor, working these day jobs. I was bartending and I got this job in my acting school. A friend of the acting teacher was a very successful therapist. So hmm. I, and she needed an assistant. So I lit up because this is just my ballywick and I really wanted to learn more about at that point hmm. as a, as a struggling actor, I couldn't afford therapy myself, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was excited at this opportunity. So and what, what kind of therapy was it? She was a Freudian psychoanalyst. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And she had a lot of celebrity clientele. A um, Academy Award winner thanked her on stage. You know, wow. 
yeah, thanks for keeping my head on straight. So I luckily I had the good karma to dive into the big leagues and be with this successful therapist hmm. and be working for her. And very quickly, <laughs> some things were interesting. She was literally like telling me some stories about some of her clients. And I knew intrinsically, gosh, this isn't right. Somehow I, I innately knew about boundaries. You know, hmm. and there were some boundary violations and I was like, huh. So I was talking to another friend of mine who was a very successful psychologist also. And he said, yeah, boundaries is real. And he explained boundaries to me and he explained some basic tenets of psychoanalysis and this and that. And so that was hmm. really fascinating. And then, so that was actually early 2000, 2001, 2002, I'd started. And then she put this interesting bee in my bonnet. She said, so Prasad, you don't know your biological father? And I said, no. And I hadn't really thought about it much prior to that. It hmm. didn't kind of shut down for me. It hadn't really come up in acting class or anything. And she said, oh, that's really interesting. And she planted the seed. We had a couple conversations. Like I said, I couldn't afford her, so I didn't, never got treatment. But she hmm. planted this big seed. So in, in life situation, like from, from a young age, you kind of knew, well, I just, I, I don't, maybe, did you have a stepdad or something? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Let me go back to the very beginning quickly. Yeah. The very beginning of the story is um, late, late 70s. My mother had um, dropped out of high school and she was a bit of, always a bit of a rebel and an intelligent free spirit and, you know, part of the hippie movement and sex and drugs and rock and roll. So she got pretty hardcore into that, dropped out of mm -hmm. high school and um, was doing a lot of partying, a lot of drinking, a lot of drugging. And she got pregnant, you know, unexpectedly. Hmm. At, I think she was 18 when she got pregnant. Hmm. So that was a big monkey wrench in her life. And um, so, yeah, when she, the exact story isn't clear to me because she was unable to actually talk to me about it on a deep level. Every time in my later years before she died, when I asked her, she would just start crying. She couldn't wow. actually share about my origins or my biological father. Um, she promised me a letter, but she never actually wrote it. Um, she got very steeped into her alcoholism, died at age 60, blew out her liver from cirrhosis. So she, her and I never got close. And so there was a, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering that, sh that she was going through. And yeah, very, very never, tortured soul. Never knew how to face it. Never yeah. reconciled that. Yeah, she just, just drank it away and never got to get any help for the demons torturing hmm. her. And so, but to answer your question, it was just her and I from zero to seven or eight. Um, hmm. We were on our own. So I've done a whole lot of work with the neglect and abandonment from, you know, having a mother far gone into alcoholism. And hmm. then she married my stepfather when I was eight. Uh, she was pregnant again. And so they had my brother. Um, and so, yeah, so I had, he's, I call, he's father too. <laughs> um, great guy, really loving guy. Uh, but, you know, I, I missed those formative years of the mm. father. Right. Yeah. And, you know, he, him and I didn't have a super deep connection. Then it was more like, okay, this package deal while well, I'm marrying her and Prasad comes along with it. So that's kind of the vibe. No, no distance, no problem, but we never got close, close, you know? Okay. So that, that's my stepfather. Um, so then, yeah, I moved out to LA at 20 and 
yeah, the, the one gift of all that trauma <laughs> growing up is that it made for really good acting. You know, the scenes were going very well and I had an agent and, you know, some good auditions hmm. and got really close to some stuff. And so it's because you had, you had so much personal stuff to, to tap into and that could come out on the stage or in, exactly. on the screen. Yeah. 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 Even, even in my early twenties, I had this question, like, do you have to be a torture? And I, I had this identity that you had hmm. to be, tortured somebody <laughs> to be a successful artist yes you know, van gogh chopping off his ear you know and all of the celebrities and their divorces and the drama and addictions mm -hmm. and this and that i really had this identity you gotta suffer for art and i was an actor mm -hmm. so i needed to suffer i mean i was i was really married <laughs> married to my suffering there for a good right. of time <laughs> very, very common among all yeah. kinds of artists yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so that's the backstory up to 2003 so i've been so busy processing that mother stuff and looking at the Oedipal complex and all that, I hadn't really thought on the, on the paternal side. So hmm. then, uh, summer of 2003, after this idea had been planted with the therapist I was working for, who wasn't that skilled, I said, okay, well, let me, let me talk to my, my mother is incapacitated, you know, with her drinking, but I did talk to my grandmother who was still alive at that point and my aunt and got what I thought was the name of my father. So I called the five guys in Minnesota with his name and it's in the burger place. Hmm? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I misunderstood. <laughs> no, no, as in there were five men in, in the city who in the had state the of same Minnesota. name. Yeah. Who had a name okay. that w was my grandmother thought might be his name. Okay. Got it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> no burger place. <laughs> if someone hands you a, an address of the five guys burger joint. And okay. <laughs> hey, he's dead there. <laughs> no, okay. Go on. So, um, so needless to say, I was not emotionally, psychologically, or mentally equipped or prepared for those phone calls. Or the, wow. or the results. Yeah. So I just kind of went for it pretty foolheartedly dove in and called five random phone numbers that I had found online or white pages or whatever. And four of them definitely clearly weren't the guy. And I don't even need to tell you what an awkward conversation that was. Uh, hello. <laughs> mm -hmm. My name's Prasad. Um, is it possible? Yeah. It was a very weird conversation. <laughs> um, one of them very well might have been. I think possibly could have been. Now, again, there's many circumstances here. It must have been the right person, you know, right thing. I don't know if it's the correct name or not. And they mm. refused, but I kind of felt something that, ah, oh, that might have been, but that did not have a good, uh, you know, all the guys were like, oh, no, 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 no. And so after that was, that was the beginning of the summer. And shortly after that, I fell into a pretty deep depression. Again, not being prepared for this. I was a 25-year-old kid at that point. I didn't know what Pandora's box I was opening up, right? What mm. big, uh, so I was not prepared. And yeah, for a goodly number of weeks there, uh, I was pretty darn depressed. Really hard getting out of bed, sleeping 12, 13 hours a day, uh, just unmotivated. It was, it was pretty gnarly. And so what, what was the, the thought pattern or the belief that, that uh, drove the depression? Knowing what I know now, it was hmm. pulling band-aids off an old wound of mm. not being wanted, being rejected, 
Mm. failure, you know, not successful. Unconsciously, subconsciously, the story running was, I'm not wanted. Mm. I don't belong here, right? Mm. And that this, I'm telling you this, <laughs> decades later, after years of therapy and, you know, lots of work, I understand now. But in yep. the moment, I was just, I was just flattened. I was just obliterated. So that's the backstory. That's where the story starts. <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay, so back one. Anyway. And so I called my friend, who was a very successful, gifted therapist, kind of the opposite of the lady I was working for. Even though she was successful, I knew there was something a little bit off, you know, with the boundaries and stuff. But this friend of mine, you very successful, I I called to him for help. And boundary wise, he said, look, I can't I can't be your therapist because we're friends, Mm. but I can have some conversations with you. And I said, "Okay, sure. So we sat down and we started talking deeply and right away it went into the spiritual with hmm. 45 minutes into the conversation. <laughs> interesting thing, surprising both him and I, because I just went to him for some basic psychological help. I just wanted to get out of depression and, you know, have some purpose to life and back game and just stop feeling so miserable. That's all I wanted. And about 40 or 45 minutes into this conversation, I realized that I could turn off my mind like a light switch, turn my mind off. Exactly. That's what he and I said. We're like, whoa, (laughs) neither one of us (laughs) anticipated that. And wait, so you, you already had, you always had this ability and it never quite occurred to you or it never occurred to you that it wasn't normal. Both. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, sorry. One more little bit of backstory to fill out the, the, um, I was not raised religious really i was um very loosely catholic uh lutheran okay we would loosely raise lutheran we'd go two three times a year to church you know christmas and easter that was about it okay and then when i was like 13 or 14 my mother's like ah prasad you should get confirmed like well i don't really want to get confirmed she's like ah just do it and Hmm. so right as i was getting confirmed i was starting to tap into some degree of emotions and some curiosity. I'd always had a curious sort of open mind. So I tested it. I said, is any of this religious stuff real? And I started having some very challenging conversations with the priest. If time allows, um, <laughs> I'll tell you one of those later. I'll save it for later. It's a fun one. A um, right. couple, couple of those conversations. But um, his answers, suffice to say, his answers weren't satisfying. Hmm. Right. And I was... Very, very, but that childhood trauma, I was very unhappy in those teenage years. And so I started praying to God. I was literally on my knees begging, God, I need a sign. You know, I'm going to confirmation class each week, week in, week out. The priest is giving me these really stupid answers to my deep, sincere questions. God, throw me a bone here. This is like six or nine months. I'm begging, (laughs) literally on my knees begging for a sign. Nothing happened. Nada. And then finally got to a point where I'm threatening. I'm like, look, you're going to lose me here. I need something, anything. Give me something or uh, you lost me and nothing happened. So he lost me. And right when I got confirmed, I was a full on 100% staunch atheist. There was no God. Marx was right. Religion is the opiate of the masses. I was anti-God, anti-religion. I was as fervent and atheist as there ever was. So... That's let, let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. Most people 
I, I think a lot of people have these stories, but what normally happens is they they start asking the questions and then very soon afterwards they give up religion and give up their faith. But you you stuck in there praying diligently for, yeah. for so long. Why, why do you think you did that? That's a great question. Hindsight being 2020, looking back, I wanted to believe. Hmm. I wanted to be saved. Even though the all the Christian stories to me were pretty stupid, like Immaculate Conception, come on. Walking on water, water to wine, come on. At that point, you know, my 16-year-old mind. They all <laughs> right. seem stupid. The stories seem kind of hyperbole stupid. But yeah. that's a great question, Kurt. Thank you. I so badly wanted mm. some relief from the suffering I was in. I was like, okay. Mm. I, and my personality structure is all in and deep and committed. So I, I just really, really went for it. Yeah, I, I wanted it. And yeah, I'm not a I'm not a light personality or a soft personality. Like it's really strong. So yeah, hmm. it's, it's a great question. It's there's a commitment. There's a commitment factor factor to me that um, yeah really lit up there. And so how, how say, would you verbalize it? Uh, like if you had to put it into one sentence, like what what was your belief? Like I I really want there to be something or how would you phrase it at that point while i was seeking as a teenager yeah yeah i would say in a sentence i would say i need proof hmm. you're so all-powerful and you created me and you sent down your only begotten son and supposedly you love me well if you love me you know you can send a bolt of lightning or you can, you know, let my pillow bounce up. I was on my bed praying. You can let that pillow bounce up. Before. I didn't ask for anything specific. Mm. I just asked for But it was, it was like, I, I need proof. It was also, I want proof. Like, right. please prove it to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Mm. Hindsight being twenty twenty, I didn't know then just how much suffering and anguish I was in. I was a mm. relative. I had just found acting. So I was a relatively happy-go-lucky teen. Um, zero to 14 was abject misery 14 once i hit the stage i had a degree of happiness so but most importantly there was sincerity there was a deep deep overarching sincerity of hey i want to believe please help me believe come on let's do this together you love me so much give me a sign hmm. there was also some desperation there of hey god that's you and me <laughs> get out of this mess together this alcoholic home sucks you know uh, uh, okay yeah yeah, yeah. So there was there was desperation, but there was tons of sincerity. So, anyways, yeah, I got no answer. I got nothing, and I was a staunch, avowed atheist for yeah, a decade. And <laughs> it was literally a sport. I would literally start talking to Christians and point. I start conversations and then point out their um, inanities and contradictions and hypocrisies. Mm -hmm. You know, and at this point, the stories are breaking about the Catholic priests with the boys and all this stuff. Like I just mm -hmm. had, I was having a field day as an atheist for, for a good decade there. Um, so that's part of the backdrop and shock uh, with this conversation with my friend. Um, we were not expecting <laughs> it to go spiritual. I was mm. pretty rabidly. Now, 
full story is yeah. a couple of months previous or maybe a year previous, I actually had a little bit of a shift. I said, well, I soften. I'm like, well, I can't be an atheist because atheists say there's no God. And so by my own logic, I couldn't disprove it. Right. So technically I was an agnostic, yeah. which means I was open. Right. Yeah. But I, I was rabidly anti-God and anti-religion and anti-spirituality, anti-anti-anti. Okay. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. My narrative then is that oh, I was burned by God. There is no God. So, yeah, it was a so huge... So, how, how did that conversation take a spiritual turn? Like, how does it... I mean, I guess it, it started subtly, probably, and, and, and then yeah, very it became subtly. overt. Yeah. Yep. He just asked me what I wanted. How did, ah. I, want, how did I want my relationship to be with my family? Yep. Right. He, he started there. Great question. Yeah. 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 Basic, yeah. Basic, easy question for you know well, not easy yeah. but you know therapy <laughs> yes. 101 yeah yes <laughs> what do you, how, how would you like your family your, your relationship with your family to be ideally and so we started inquiry there at that point and then you know i don't remember exactly how it shifted i mean we're talking 2003 <laughs> mm, yeah but it definitely energetically shifted um mm. oh, you know what okay one last one last bit of backstory yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> When I was 16 or 17 in high school, junior year, world history, there was a short couple paragraphs on Buddhism. Mm. Okay. And Buddhism, they talked about the four noble truths, you know, mm -hmm. and kind of suffering or suffer because we're attached. You got to release suffering. And it was really appealing. For a year and a half, I got very sincere into Buddhism there in high school, mm -hmm. end of high school, because... Buddhist said, what I read there is there is no God. I'm like, ah, I can dig this. And so that made a lot of sense. So for a chunk of time there, I was really into Buddhism. And then right in that time frame too, my brain was telling this story of, you know what? If I can conquer the fear of death, there's nothing to be afraid of. So while I was getting into Buddhism and attempting meditation and a 16, 17 year old boy with hormones and everything. I was not having a great time with meditation, <laughs> but, um, without mind. much of a formal teacher, I imagine. Exactly. Well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just reading and there wasn't a lot own. of resources back then yeah. either. There was no yeah. internet, you know, yeah. no internet. I was just reading some books on my own mm -hmm. and I, I had this uh, recliner chair in my room that I would just sit in and contemplate the fear of death, you know, and I spent, months pretty much every night really wow. diving in introspectively okay how do i overcome the fear of death what would it be like if i wasn't afraid of death you know what's so scary about death and just this like death meditation death focus not mm -hmm. in a morbid way but in mm -hmm. a transcending goal way you know like yes. beyond death yes. and then all of a sudden or well at some point mm -hmm. of this deep inquiry i realized oh i'm not afraid of death cool and so that's a, a last bit of the backdrop so mm. uh back to 2003 in this conversation with my therapist friend i yep. believe that's how we got to oh you can turn your mind off like a light switch he said look i've been studying spirituality and religion for 40 years that's not a common thing <laughs> you know people go into caves for years for that and i was like oh i just that's just how it is. <laughs> I think it has something to do with those months meditating, you know, inquiring, inquiring. Yes. Um, yeah. So 
okay, so that was that first conversation. And now, I, in that in that state, the turning off that light switch. Now, I, I imagine what you're describing is it's like you you cease all thoughts and you're just receiving whatever you're perceiving. Is is that what you're describing, or is it something else? Close. Yeah, I would say even more so emptiness. Hmm. Emptiness slash openness. And words are going to get very tricky here. <laughs> yes. But let's, let's just say the void. And okay. certainly, yeah. certainly no thoughts. Yep. Which is very, very beautiful. Not being mm. bombarded by thoughts. <laughs> yes. Right. So, yeah, those, those are some, that's some of the best languaging I can, I can have for that state. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So both he and I were blown away. <laughs> One hour-long conversation, it went from depressed, uh, suffering guy to, oh, free of thoughts, free of mind, no mind state. We're both like, mm. wow. And we're like, hey, we need to keep working and dive in further. And so we did. And in addition to his professional therapy career, he had just a year or two before, gotten deeply into inquiry, self-inquiry. If you're familiar with Ramana Maharshi and that whole lineage. Yeah, I, uh, well, I, I'm not so familiar, but yes, I've read a, read a little bit about it. Okay. And I think uh, Ram Das referred to this practice at one stage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's in a very abridged nutshell. It's It's called Advaita Vedanta. And it's asking repeatedly, who am I? Right. Who am I? Who am I? Yeah, I, you start peeling away the onions. You know, it's a great, great inquiry point. So he had, Ramana lived in India, South India. He died in the 50s. One of his big disciples was named Papaji. And in the 80s and 90s, 80s, a bunch of Americans went to Papaji and really loved this inquiry thing. Uh, Gangaji was one of the uh, star disciples. Andrew Cohen was to Muji, who's very popular now. All, the, all these people were with Papaji before he died. And um, yeah, so I got, I got close to Gangaji and she had been working with um, this friend of mine. So there, that summer of 2003, and then he and I got together and had these marathon sessions. Okay. We spent three or four times or yeah, three or four times we got together for like six, seven, eight hours of inquiry, therapeutic inquiry and spiritual inquiry, just hmm. diving as deep as humanly possible. And without any substances, it got very psychedelic mm. <laughs> very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, kind of culminating. And mind you, I was already beyond the fear of death. So the great synthesis of awesome therapeutic technique with deep self-inquiry I was out beyond death, beyond source, beyond beyond the void. Is sorry. Is this is this again with Freudian psychoanalysis? Uh, no, this was transpersonal. transpersonal oh, okay. Psychology. I'm not familiar. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Transpersonal is the bridge between old psychology and it, it embraces the spiritual. It embraces the holistic self. Uh -huh. Versus straight psychoanalysis or, you know, other forms of therapy. Transpersonal really, um, Ram Dass was a big transpersonal proponent. Mm -hmm. So visually, <laughs> where we got to, where I was out, would be kind of like that point in the matrix 
when Keanu Reeves was just out in the big white expanse. Mm. You know, like, yeah, just gone into the void. And so that was that was a profound summer in 2003. <laughs> and so on August 1st, 2003, I woke up that morning and had a very bizarre <laughs> day uh, that culminated at 5.33 p.m. When I say very bizarre, every question, and I'll ask you the first one, too, and see how you do. Not a trick okay. question. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> every question that came into my brain got answered immediately. Ah. It was a very surreal experience. So, and I'm not talking light little questions, deep questions. And the main ones that I remember, I'll, I'll tell you the three of them. And the first one will we'll test you, Kurt. <laughs> not a trick question, uh, yes or no question. Okay. And the question is, is the mind finite or infinite? Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure how to answer that. I mean, is I, I guess I would lean towards infinite because it's like it can... Uh, the consciousness ha has the capacity to contain anything within it, in a sense. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I guess that's my my best answer for now. <laughs> Perfect. You're you're plenty enlightened for me, Kurt. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm literally nine a.m. sitting there brushing my teeth and um, ask it ask that question, and in a nutshell, that answer came. You know, I asked. Hmm. Is the mind finite or infinite? And the answer came, it's infinite. And the proof is hmm. it can comprehend infinity. Hmm. Right. You know, yeah. What, what yeah, you said so synthesized. Can, and yep. I was like, oh, can't argue with that. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm driving to work. At that point, I was teaching swimming lessons, too, as one of my day jobs as an actor. So I had this, this uh, fairly affluent clientele um, teaching swimming lessons, too, privately. So I'm going to teach my swimming lessons that day. And I'm with this swimming with this little girl and I could like see her psychological structure. Right. Mm. And my work with her shifted. Like I specialized in fearful kids. So all of a sudden I had this ability to help calm her like mm. I hadn't had before. And she would, mm. she was nine and very precocious, precocious and intelligent. And I could mm. answer her perfectly from a, a spiritual sort of place to it's like, wow, this is interesting. Okay. <laughs> mm. And then um, after a couple of swimming lessons, I went to the beach to work out and I was ecstatic. I'm working out. So I, I got kind of this runner's high and I'm just ecstatic, like beyond ecstatic, like I had <laughs> never experienced in my life. And then the question, you know, and by this point, I don't remember all the questions, but it was the afternoon. So they had started to taper down. Right. Uh, but as I was working out, just in this massive ecstasy, mm. the question came in, oh, is this bliss? Right. Mm. And, you know, by now I had a couple dozen, you know, awesome, amazing answers to all my questions. Mm. And the answer came, no, this is beyond bliss. This is B. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and again, it was another Matrix moment, like, whoa <laughs> like wow okay beyond bliss is being okay cool so i'm tripping up with that for a while right <laughs> right so then um 
a uh, little bit later that day at uh, 5.33 p.m., <laughs> I looked down at the clock when it answered because this, this was a big one. I was driving east on Sunset Boulevard, okay, just past UCLA. And my friend and I had this question. We, we had a, f- a mutual friend who was on the mental on the mentally ill spectrum. Okay. He had some deep problems. He was also very spiritually plugged in. And so him and I had been wondering for a while, is this friend of ours enlightened or just crazy or, or what is it? You know? So I'm driving along and I'm like, Oh, um, well, my brain is providing answers. Let me ask this question. Is our friend enlightened? Mm-hmm. And the answer came. Yes. He's enlightened. Everyone is enlightened. We just have varying degrees of awareness of our level of enlightenment. Hmm. And so it may not sound dramatic in this moment, you know, decades later, but in that moment as a 25-year-old kid without much, you know, spiritual background in this lifetime, I had to pull over the car. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) my breath, like, everyone's enlightened you know, <laughs> donald trump's enlightened you know george bush is enlightened like you know adolf hitler's enlightened no i i needed to catch my breath right i i think i had a cell phone at that point yeah i called my friend who you know who i'd done the work with and i'm like hey <laughs> this wacky thing just happened i left him a voicemail he was working he was uh, i think i'm working up a malibu at that point mm-hmm. and um later that night he didn't get my voicemail later that night he called me and he's like hey did something really weird and interesting happen to you at 5.33 p.m.? And I'm like, yeah, didn't you hear my voicemail? And he's like, no, but something really weird happened to me. And we swap stories. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the backdrop of the father story and moving from trauma <laughs> to spirituality. <laughs> All right. And then, um, yeah, so that was 2003. Uh, and then other wacky stuff started happening. So him and I started a spiritual organization together and then, you know, fast forward to today. So (laughs) if that's not enough, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so many, many amazing things happened in the subsequent decades. Like I said, yeah, yeah, we started this thing together. Um, I, uh, apprenticed with him. He taught me about psychology. He taught me about spirituality. We started working with people. I spent, uh, seven years. I sat in on every session he did. So afterwards he explained psychology. He taught me about the Enneagram. He taught me about Freudian theory, young collective. What did you Enneagram? Enneagram. Have you heard of that before? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, Enneagram is amazing. E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. It's this very, very, very ancient, wise system of personalities. There's there's nine personality points. Oh, and okay. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Everyone check out the Enneagram. It's it's amazing. So I learned that from him. I learned about psychology, I learned how to work with people. Um, learned about spirituality. We just had this amazing, amazing connection and, and number of years. And it got very paternal beyond just the mentor apprentice relationship. And, you know, we were working hard on this business, launching this spiritual organization that he got called to launch. Hmm. And so at some point about a, 
some years later, he said, hey, you know, let's, let's do an adult, let's do an adoption. And I said, well, that's kind of weird. I'm an adult, you're an adult, you know, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and he said, no, let's, let's do it, let's formalize it. And, you know, we went back and forth for a number of months or maybe even a little over a year. And finally I said, okay, he really want, I did, I was pretty ambivalent. He really <laughs> wanted it. And so um, I said, yes. And we did an adult adoption. So I, I went from zero fathers to three fathers. <laughs> so um, you asked initially, you know, what sort of challenges you go there. I went from, yeah, no parents to, you know, I got my biological father. I have my stepfather. And then uh -huh. I have this, you know, adult father, spiritual father. We, yeah. Him and I did a healing once. This great healer came in and looked at us and said, ah, soul father. And that was that was really cool. That hit the nail on the head. So um, <laughs> I just looked at the time. I was like, whoa. So um, what was also amazing about the story and what I've learned since about karma and lifetimes and shamanistic principles of seven generations of work and whole constellations and matrices of oh, let's just in a word let's just say trauma <laughs> let's just say transgenerational trauma okay yeah so interesting piece of the story is that he was born in a concentration camp in world at the end of world war ii right after the war was done all of the displaced jews the uh, americans and allies kept into the camps so even though the jews were free well, technically free they actually weren't free. They were still in camps. Little known fact. Hmm. So he, he was born in a post-war camp to a mother quite mentally ill who was assured that she would never have children. So she was having lots of sex in the camp to stay alive and do what she needed to do. Hmm. And there weren't any other options to do, really. Hmm. Lo and behold, she gets pregnant. And so just like me, not having a biological father, he knew nothing about his biological father. Hmm. So from a karmic standpoint, it's pretty amazing seeing that parallel. And then she did end up getting married. Her, his mother got married to a very sadistic, very awful, abusive stepfather who beat the crap out of him. So he had a ton of trauma, like insane amounts of trauma. Hmm. So as he and I got closer and closer and closer, how do I say this? Some of our trauma, trauma bonding and trauma tendencies started coming out. And we okay. started behaving in some unhealthy ways. Right. And so back to the positive healing from, you know, these challenges is yeah. since But wait, do you, do you want to, do you care to share the extent of it or is it too too painful to no 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 um, talk about or <laughs> no 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 it's it's very painful um i was gonna keep the show pg but we'll go to our uh okay well you don't you don't have to go into too much yeah, detail no, but yeah, maybe no details, the, yeah but short of short of physical abuse because i'm a healthy big guy there was mm. there was like every type of abuse we went through uh emotional um uh sexual psychological and Probably worst of all, and a message I would love to give everyone, is spiritual. Spiritual abuse is a very, very gnarly thing. And 
I think big picture, macro, 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 mm. all types of abuse have a spiritual component. You know, mm. physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, sexual abuse, child abuse, you name it. It's it's all spiritual. Yeah. But uh, and this is what I wanted to mention today. The ability to spiritually bypass that intelligent, sophisticated people like you and I can, others and your listeners can do. Mm. It's something we want to be aware of, you know. Um, yes, we can all have states of bliss and ecstasy and the oneness. It's true. Big picture. We all are one. Whatever word you like, God or source or whatever word floats your boat, I'm fine with the word Allah, Jehovah, Buddha, Krishna, take your pick. Or Kanadanka. Kanadanka. <laughs> <laughs> I believe, in my experiences, we're a couple of breaths away from that, or a light switch in the brain away from whoo, that level of consciousness. It's hmm. always there. Yes, it's factually the case. Hmm. And for this chunk of time, we're in a human body, which means we're contending with karma and hmm. issues and stuff to heal. So what we don't want to do is prematurely jump up to that state, mm. right? Integration is so important. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I still I still have uh, this. <laughs> this um, I don't know if it's in the movie of Fight Club. I think it's in the book where um, the, the main character is trying to be more enlightened than, than you are. And Tyler Durden says, stuffing feathers up your butt doesn't make you a chicken. (laughs) 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 And, and back to my original point to quote fight club again, there's this great scene in the movie. I forget (laughs) if it's in the book or not. Um, They're walking down the street and uh, Tyler Durden says to Tyler Durden, if you could fight anyone throughout history, who would you fight? Uh And Tyler says, William Shatner. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah William Shatner Star Trek badass and then Tyler Durden says to the other Tyler Durden who would you fight and he says my father oh, right. and yeah that's profound <laughs> and so one of the upshots and highlights of my story and going from challenge to um, liberation is since 2017 I've been deeply dedicated to men's work Hmm. And this concept of the father wound, especially when you put it in the spiritual context, because open the newspapers anytime. Um, Kurt, we had a great conversation about Osho and Oregon in the 80s, you know, and wild, wild Mm -hmm. country and all of the, how do I say, tragedies that befall spiritual organizations. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have this great spiritual leader. And then some scandal, they have sex Mm -hmm. with their secretary or they embezzle money or they buy Rolls Royces or, you know, whatever drama ensues. Mm -hmm. It's so sad. And then all these people come out and, you know, John of God recently molested these women and, you know, Mm. horrible, horrible stories. And then people say, wow, how did this happen? And why did this happen? And how did I get caught up with this charismatic figure and, you know, lose myself and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I love this concept of the father wound and it applies equally to boys and girls, men and women, you know, because fathers and daughters have their own dynamic of, you know, daddy issues and this and that not being a a woman per se in this lifetime. I don't worry about that too much, but the whole father son dynamic 
Mm. You know, and this is back to that spiritually bypassing concept we want to be aware of. You know, to remember that our spiritual authorities are spiritual authorities, and they're human beings. You know, holding the complexity of both, which means they are fallible and they do make mistakes and they wipe their butts just like you and I. You mm. know, so that's been that's a really profound point. I love to share with others. Because I do believe all healing is spiritual healing. You know, there, there, there has to be a spiritual component. And this comes from a devout atheist for years and years and years, you know. But to get to the core of the onion and the deepest parts, yeah, you got to add that element of higher power, however you understand higher power, right? Um, I mm. believe that's necessary. And at the same time, always you know look to teachers and, and and gurus and helpers and healers that are out there and be very cautious on that razor's edge of deifying them mm. and definitely get with cognitive behavior therapy and cbt and other <laughs> therapies and clear out the gunk so you can have pristine mature relations with authority figures and you're not just recapitulating old karmic patterns is mm. this making sense am i am i talking clearly enough can you yeah <laughs> if i can spell this out any further <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think uh, i think i'm getting it um well i wonder how how this um uh, well how how you implemented this or integrated this this lesson you know especially with your your soul father yeah. uh, and how how did that Uh, how did that uh, spiritual manipulation or, or spiritual um, abuse mm-hmm. manifest itself? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, can you give some examples? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Happily. Absolutely. So <laughs> um, in the in the beautiful, wonderful multi-year training that he gave me, one thing we didn't cover, which is new to my vocabulary and really, really profound, hmm. is gaslighting. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, very important uh, psychologically. Um, for those who don't know, it comes from a very popular 1940s play where this hmm. husband was torturing his wife and she would go out and then he would turn down the gas. The, this is from the 40s, so before electricity. He would turn down the gas and the, the, the light and the yeah, lamps. The pilot light. The pilot yeah. light. She'd come home and say, oh, it's darker in here. And he'd be sitting in his chair saying, no, it's not. He was literally uh-huh. torturing her gaslighting so that's where it comes from so yeah. psychologically speaking as i understand and if you understand differently correct me it's yeah. um making you doubt your reality mm-hmm. okay and so to answer your question uh, and where i'm at now is uncovering layers of wow i've been gaslit for years and years and years not even maliciously and this is where it gets amazing yes I'll say that in a second um I had my mind blown by a therapist recently. I said, okay, so gaslighting, yeah, it's new to concept to me, but it's very powerful and I get it. And by definition, it's intentional, right? Because, you know, from the play, you know, he was turning it down and, and fucking right. with her. Excuse my language. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this gifted, this is a world expert on narcissism says to me, no, it doesn't have to be intentional. And right. that blew my mind. I'm still processing that. But yes. the, the latest insight is like, oh, okay, Yeah, it can be done unconsciously, especially as like a defense mechanism. And then here's where it gets really tricky and really amazing. 
And I'm still grogging this, so please, everyone contemplate it and then come to Souls Enterprise and let me know what you come up with because I'm still like, this is a trippy moment. By definition, it is a spiritual teacher's job to gaslight or a therapist's job to gaslight. Exactly. Okay. All right. I, I want to hear this. This is yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just hot off the press, Kurt. This is some good stuff. <laughs> to help you question your reality. Okay, your uh-huh. your clients that you, you know they're they're on the cusp of a cognitive insight. Your job is to help them along. When I coach people spiritually, you know we want to be just a tiny step ahead, or at least shed a little bit of light. Or, well, let's think about this differently. Or have you considered this? Or mm. is this a possibility, right? Mm. Yep. The key word, of course, is skillful. We yes. want to skillfully help people question their reality and not go over gradient. You know, we don't want to blow them away in a first therapy session. We're not going to dive into, you know, the deep trauma. I've, I, my story now I share after decades of deep work, you know, so it's not a big deal to me. I realized, you know, full disclaimer at the beginning, I should have said it could be triggering to some but I've dealt enough with it where it's just a a story now, right? The heat is off. Mm. So yeah, you don't go over gradient, but yeah, it's like, Oh wow. It was. So let's take our friend Osho, you know, we can sit here as judgmental Westerners and say, Oh my God, what kind of a schmuck charlatan a-hole has 95 Rolls Royces, 97 Rolls Royces. How many ever many had, we can put a lot of judgment on him. And maybe we're right. Or, not say or, let's say and, you know, mm. what's what's the device there? What's the message? Well, okay. there's one message that abundance is okay. Yes. You know, receiving is okay. They were all gifts. You know, and I'm not defending. I'm not condoning. And I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just trying to have a broad, open mind. Like, what's what could be going on here? Mm. And when... The, the glimpses I've had into what it's like being a, a spiritual teacher and working on that sort of level, like there's the karmic things at play, right? There's the lifetimes together. And what I understand from the Vedic tradition is a master takes on the disciple's karma. So this Osho character, for example, mm-hmm. taking on the karma of hundreds of thousands of people, probably enough, <laughs> probably saying, whoa, slow down. So <laughs> what a cool device to keep people away. You know, all the people who judged all the Rolls Royces aren't going to go anywhere near Oregon or this wacky bearded guy. Right? Now, <laughs> what an interesting device. So, yeah, just interesting stuff to ponder. But if you take it to that, look at it from that lens, what an interesting way to help us question our reality. Hmm. Right. So. Yeah, this is like the edge right now I'm playing with of like, hmm, what does it mean to assist people in questioning their reality, red pilling in a skillful way, right? Yes. And yes. so this is where CBT and all trauma, th- trauma healing gets so important. And as you know, yeah. as a coach, just like me, we have to be so careful and pristine not to be projecting or transferring or counter transference. Like it's such, it can be such a narrow, narrow tightrope and we have to keep doing our own work, right? That's the number one biggest thing. You don't say, Oh, I've arrived. I'm good. No, I'm working my butt off. Yeah. Everything. So 
Yes, um, yes. I well, I, lo- I love this qu- this quote. Uh, <laughs> this quote I, I always refer to is, uh, I, I think maybe it comes from Albert Ellis, and it's it's like uh, we can only understand others to to the extent and in the manner that we understand ourselves, mm. and that's that's so important. And it is like it's kind of remarkable because the more introspection I do, I'm like, huh, I know exactly what that person is going through. I'm like, oh, right. I'm surprised myself sometimes how accurate it is. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm like, so I think your thought process is like this and this, and this causes you to feel stress. And then, and uh, right. you get anxious. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. <laughs> For example, I, I can, pretty confidently make a bet with you that you didn't think two hours ago you'd be talking today about skillful gaslighting. Is that fair? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't occur to me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, getting back to your your situation with your with your soul father or your part your um yeah business or spiritual partner or however <laughs> how yeah, you describe all of it. the above. All of the yeah. mentor, friend you know, yeah. business partner, eight, eight or nine, roommate. We had eight or nine different relationships. You know, <laughs> right. Complex. Yeah. So uh, I, I imagine that, you know, it, when a, a friendship gets abusive, you know, it is somehow on both sides. Uh, right. Maybe one, you know, one side more than the other. Yeah. 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 And so the key word, the key word to that which is relatively new to me and I'm happy to share with everyone is boundaries Hmm. back to my childhood and being fatherless and in effect motherless. I didn't get any boundaries, you know, and I assume, you know, attachment theory and, you know, child bonding with mommy and Bowlby and Ainsworth and all that. Right. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, In a sentence, you know, a, a good mother, bonds with their child and the child mm-hmm. knows it's a secure world because when they cry the mom attends and when they're mm-hmm. hungry the mother breastfeeds you know and and then individuation happens you know 12 to 24 months whatever and then you know they move on and they still have the tether to their parents well i didn't have that <laughs> mm. um so the blessing is that i'm wide open and curious and these massive spiritual things can come in the curse is that for a long time, na- uh, navigating relationships wasn't clear because mm. there were no boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, um, and there was also, with the father wound, there was also sort of a desperation to be liked and loved. Mm. So there were, yeah, some um, violations that, that uh, weren't pleasant and there was... Um, yeah, mistreatment and just um, warpings and and yeah, I didn't. Could you, could you give an example, perhaps with the gaslighting? Like mm-hmm. it was trying trying to make you believe certain things about yourself or about the world, or believe that he hadn't said something when when he really did, or or uh, I don't I don't know. It may maybe it <laughs> it does seem like you you don't want to get into too many details about it. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm happy to get into, uh, okay. into details, no problem. Um, okay. uh, I just, you know, I want to stay respectful also, you know. And, ah, yes. Uh, wh- where, where things are at now, you know, I've launched Souls Enterprise, 
uh, you know, I still have connections to the spiritual organization and him and, you know, it's still all love and he's still my father. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of warmth still. Okay. This is not a victim story. This is a, this is a triumph story. Um, yep. so yeah, I, I'm not going to give, uh, names, but, um, okay. One, one example that pops to mind. Um, okay. Because of, because of multi-generational addiction karma, I was pretty straight edge growing up. I never touched alcohol till I was 20. And hmm. even then I never got too much into alcohol because, um, it wasn't that pleasant and I would go out with friends, but it wasn't casual. I would like get drunk, you know, so maybe four five, six times a year, a little bit more in my twenties, but not so hmm. much. And certainly through the thirties, not so much into alcohol ever and maybe marijuana a few times, but I never got into drugs. Mm -hmm. And then late thirties or mid thirties, um, I had a broken heart from a, from a, a woman who had broken my heart and a friend invited me to, um, try out uh, psychedelics, some plant medicine, mm -hmm. which I hadn't really heard of, but I thought, Oh, what the heck, you know, and, um, got into this group for about five years that, um, uh, the shaman had been mixing ayahuasca and psilocybin into this beautiful chocolate, okay. just these fantastic red pill experiences, mind blowing. I mean, just wonderful, wonderful, amazing states of consciousness and insight. And this is while I'm learning about gaslighting and doing psychological healing and this and that. So it was just a really a great portal for opening up. Right. Mm. And so um, my uh, soul father is like, oh, no, no, no. You're Prasad. This is, the psychedelics have been so bad for you. Ruined your mind. You're just wow. It's just really bad. And this is awful. And it pains me to see you. What a bad experience you've had. And I'm like, huh, well, wow, I've actually had pretty great experiences, but okay, you know, I'm, I'm enlightened enough to let you have your reality and I'll have my reality. Yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> right, right before COVID hits, <laughs> he, he comes to me and says, you know, I, I yeah, I, I met one of your uh, mentor friends and uh, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to try out the psilocybin. Can you help me mm. arrange it for a psilocybin journey? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so I, I imagine, yeah, yeah, it's just one glaring example. I could, I could spend five hours, but right, <laughs> makes me doubt Fair my enough. reality. Yeah, made me doubt my reality. <laughs> yes, for a while. yes, as yeah. as it would, yeah. especially like you can still be a bit tender after having a psychedelic experience. Still exactly. kind of malleable. Yeah, right, exactly. I, I wonder if uh, it, it was kind of like. At that point, he he worried that maybe you were going to somehow become more of a leader than he was, or you you were going to exceed him in spiritual development, and so he was probably unconsciously trying to subtly un undermine your development. Yeah, that's 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 the same analysis I've I've made, and I'm and I'm delighted mm. to say, you know, another positive note, um, and how important it is to stay in the light and stay positive. So uh, it's a, for me, a tightrope, you know, and, and nervous sort of landmine and been a landmine, you know, when, when souls enterprise launched, you know, that, that was, it was kind of born out of COVID. I wanted to stay together and have a collaborative experience with friends spiritually, you know, souls enterprise is not about me. It's not about Karunadera. It's about collaborating spiritually hmm. with others. And the organization he and I formed was, you know, is about him and his amazingness and his teachings. And so very okay. different, but 
um, being the apprentice and sort of second in command, you can imagine what a um, quagmire razor's edge it is, you know. Anyways, I had a lot of nervousness sharing Soul's Enterprise with him because I thought that there would be a reaction of oh, what you're just saying. Who does this Prasad think he is? And, you know, mm-hmm. why is he launching it? Why is he doing this? And this is a betrayal. And I can't believe this is happening. And, you know, all that stuff is literally screaming in my brain. Right. I unfortunately didn't choose to turn the switch off. So I mm-hmm. have this conversation. I'm all nervous. And in actuality, he says, wow, you know, yeah, congratulations. Looks very good. I think you'll be successful with that. And I was wonderful. Like, what? (laughs) This is the positive gaslighting I'm talking about. You know, um, my reality is blown. I'm expecting one thing. And I think all of us, you know, script out conversations and we assume I'm going to say this and Kurt's going to say that and, you know, back and forth. Like we have this, especially romantically, you know, you you go to, you go to do something with someone, you think all this is going to happen. You have a script. And what a great lesson in openness not intentional <laughs> and receiving. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah, um, that's that's the kind of state of the state now. So oh, that's yeah, great. Been well, a wild, can, wild ride. Yeah. Yeah. Get, getting back to setting boundaries, like you said, that was that was so, something so important to you to you know eventually get get this relationship to be healthy. So. Get, can you give an example of, of a situation of where you had to set a boundary and, you know, how you do it? Because a, l- a lot of people don't have that skill. And so yeah, it's, it's yeah, always absolutely. been a challenge for me. Yeah. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, let me answer from a broad way. Having dove in so deeply to trauma study and trauma research these last five, six plus years, it's amazing how being traumatized does warp our boundaries and we don't know what's right and what's up and what's down. Hmm. And so the fir- one of the first keys is to just go slowly and check in with ourselves. Hmm. And if we're there, if we're really present with our body, you know, uh, Bessel van der Kirk, the body keeps the score, our body, our stomach, that little voice in your stomach will let you know, you know, if something's off or hmm, your chest yeah. or wherever it is for you. So that's a first indicator of boundaries, okay? Just being very calm and present because what happens, especially the older we get and the smarter we get, our defenses are up, you know, we can easily justify things with our brain or even worse, get reactive. Mm-hmm. So if I'm talking with someone like him where we've got this complex multi-layered relationship, if I'm triggered, I'm not in my body. I'm fight, I'm fight or flight or freeze you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm into it. But if I slow down, take my breath, oh, wow, I'm in a trauma response. Can I take care of myself and check in? Oh, let me slow down and breathe. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know what? I don't need to be in fight or flight. Everything is fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So an example would be, yeah, it, there was a chunk of time there where things were so, this is a while ago. But luckily, they're better now. But there is a chunk of time where things were so contentious with us personally and um, to my reality, there was some gaslighting going on. I said, look, for us to have any personal conversation, we need a professional present. We need a mediator. I'm okay. not going to talk to you unless your therapist is present or my therapist is present. It's, it's not going to happen personally. We can take our business stuff. So to your question of boundaries, business, one boundary, you know, to all the traumatized people out there, 
keep working. <laughs> it helps, hmm. you know, keep your job, you know, something to focus on. But interpersonally, um, you got to feel safe. Hmm. Safety first. Hmm. So if you're in that calm place and you feel yourself getting triggered or you have any bodily reaction, that's a clue that you're not safe. So boundaries are going to put up safety. So, you know, that, that's one example. That, that's a sort of extreme example. Um, mm -hmm. A lighter example might be, you know, you meet someone out and about at a party, right? And, you know, maybe you have a couple of cocktails and so your perception isn't great. And, you know, you get a phone number or they get a phone number. And they're, they're kind of aggressive and ask for a phone number. And then the next okay. day when you're sober, the phone rings and they call. And you kind of go back and you're like, wait a minute. They felt kind of aggressive yesterday. <laughs> but you answer the phone, you know, you try it out, whatever. You give the benefit of the doubt. And they kind of aggressively say, hey, let's hang out or go out or get together or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if you're paying attention to yourself, you can probably feel somewhere bodily. No, not a good idea. I'm going to put up a boundary and say no thanks. Or mm -hmm. if they're like, oh, let's go on a date. You can, If you're not sure and you, you, you're just practicing this boundary thing, you could say, let's meet at a party this Friday I'm going to where there's some friends there. You know, mm -hmm. I, If I'm not 100% safe and I don't want to go out with you, Let's meet in a public setting, you know, with some other friends. Yes. Right. So, uh, yeah, those those are a couple of examples off the top of my head to start this boundary work. Does yeah. Yeah. Well, in the in the case where you suggested the the uh, having a, a mediator present, mm -hmm. uh, was there a a specific way you you brought that up, like? How do you introduce that into a conversation? Because it is to to them, it is going to seem a bit uh, alarming, I suppose. It could, um, and again, it depends upon the person and the relationship. At this point, um, he and I had just had a huge fight. Okay, like a massive <laughs> blowout. <laughs> not, right. not physical. But yeah, a, a fight. And because we're both pro therapy and you know believe in the healing, I was like. You know, I'm, I didn't use the words then because I didn't have, but I'm like, I'm putting up a boundary. And hmm. so here's the, and here's the other big key for us traumatized folks is you have to enforce it. It's one mm -hmm. thing putting up boundaries, but you really do. And this is, this is another great thing. I'm going to plug men's work again <laughs> and work in general, the integrity piece. We hmm. have to, the safety starts with ourselves. We have to let, like the, the quote you gave earlier. We have to trust ourselves hmm. and trust that we can create safety for ourselves. This is like inner child work 101. If our inner child is, doesn't feel safe, how is our adult going to feel safe, right? right? So our inner child needs to know that we can create safety. And part of that safety is having the integrity of following through with our boundaries we set, you know, that we enforce. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like you're, yeah, like, like with the... A normal child, yes, they need consistency to, to know that they can trust you. So your inner yep. child also needs that from you. Yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. So the yeah, mm. great, perfect example. So the child where the kid says, you know, Johnny, you get one cookie tonight. And so he has his cookie after dinner. And then an hour later, mommy, mommy, can I have a cookie? No, Johnny. Um, you get you had your cookie. And then ten minutes later, mommy, let me have a cookie. Mm -hmm. okay, have one more cookie. Mm. This, this, this is a parent teaching their child that boundaries don't really exist and they're not a big deal. It's not great mm. parenting. 
Right. The firm saying that even even Little Johnny grows read. up to be a narcissist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh oh. <laughs> so then Johnny has to go into therapy and you know stop eating cookies and <laughs> you know, but yeah, important lesson in you know self parenting for those of us who didn't have great boundaries and great parents and great modeling, you know. Mm it becomes important that we can rely on ourselves and not have that second cookie, you know, set internal boundaries. You know what? Mm. I said I was going to work out three times this week. I'm going to work out. You know, I don't feel mm. like it. It's tired. You know, I slept in. No, I'm going to work out. Mm. And you build that self-trust. You're creating a foundation to really have an awesome life versus, you know, giving yourself, ah, it's one more cookie. Ah, yeah, I'll, I'll work out tomorrow. And, you know, how that goes. So. Yeah. <laughs> I do uh, all too well. I know. <laughs> so, let me ask you: If there were a, a, a spiritual practice like like self inquiry or meditation or or even therapy or something, or, uh, what what do you think the the best thing? I, I guess it always depends on the person. But what what mm. would you give advice to a <laughs> a yeah. general beginner? Uh, sure. What practice do you think they should begin? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm going to give general and specific advice. Okay. Which is the same in that pick anything and go for it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Consistency <laughs> is key. Okay. Um, yeah, I forget yep. which teacher. It might have been him. Yeah, no, it was him. Uh, people all the time, 18 years, over and over. I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to do this. You know, why is it not working? Hmm. Spiritual practice is not outcome-based. It's mm. about consistency. Mm. Okay. So whatever practice you go for, go for it. You want to get into the psychedelic route? Do the psychedelics. You want to go the therapy route? <laughs> go every week, do therapy. Mm -hmm. um, the key is doing it. So um, sp specifically for meditation, doesn't matter what you do, do it every day. Okay. Mm. Try and do it at the same time. Mm. Um, yeah, that's the single biggest thing without attachment to outcome. Oh, you know, I want to get this. I want to get that. I want to quiet my mind. We're right. Westerners. It's plumb near impossible. Yes, it's possible. <laughs> and it takes work and time and discipline. So the big <laughs> word is discipline. Um, but I know you want a more concrete answer. So my favorite. No, no, that's a really good answer though. But oh, yeah, go good. on. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's the framework for the answer. And then, um, from someone who's tried just about everything, um, literally just about everything. I mean, years, Scientology auditing. Okay. I was on the Kansas Scientology, Muslim right. Christianity, you name it. I've tried it. I love the breath work. Mm. Breath work is just amazing. I mean, incredible. It's so quick and so fast generally to alter your consciousness. Yes. Um, it gives you something to focus on. So you don't have to get caught in the monkey mind and the thoughts um, it's, it's, it has physical benefits. It's just, it ticks off every single, every single mark in my book is, yeah. Those who haven't tried mm. Bethwork, try it. And those who have know how great it is, go deeper into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's most, great. Mo yeah, most yeah. key is whatever you choose is go for it because, um, there, there is a phenomenon that I, I want to speak out against, which is. Mm. 
how do I call this? Let's just call it spiritual dilettantism. Oh yeah, okay. I'm with, I get my hug from Ama, and I do. I went to Peru for ayahuasca, and I did breath work with Prasad, and it was fun. And uh-huh. twice a year, I do CBT with Kurt, and it's yeah. oh, I go love light bliss, and I talk to my crystals with the chakras. I mean, I don't want to be negative, but that's there's a dilettantism that's very yes. much alive in spirituality now. So I, I do want to speak out against that and talk about diving a deep hole. Okay, really digging deep versus all these little shallow holes. Hmm. Whatever you choose, dig deep. Go for it. And even if it's not your path or a mistake or the wrong thing, it'll open up to your next level. So, yeah, the, the, the biggest advice is go deep, go all in. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's so true. All right, great. Uh, do you want to tell us about Souls Enterprise? Promote yourself with it. Huh, sure, yeah. Your organization. It. Yeah, yeah quick, quick <laughs> moment at uh, souls, soulsenterprise.org is really, really special and near and dear to my heart because, like I said, I have done just about everything and mm. put it all together into a unique modality we call transcendation, with it, which is transcending and celebration. Transcending <laughs> is beautiful because... You can ascend and go into the light or descend and go deep. And we, our tagline is uh, climb high, dive deep. Okay, that's what wow. we do. <laughs> Trans is beyond. Yeah. So ascending, descending, great. Transcending is beyond. And so mm. uh, transcendation was birthed um, within a second piece of celebration. Sometimes we get serious on our spiritual path and discipline and up it for him and this and that. So I always like to infuse the lightness of celebration. So we get together for that. There's um, individual transcendation, like one-on-one coaching with me, or dyadic transcendation, where uh, Kroon Adair and I you get uh, sacred masculine and divine feminine working with you. We have hmm. uh, public meetings with breathwork. She does ecstatic dance. We have group transcendation where we get together. So check out soulsenterprise.org. And um, the last neat plug for Souls Enterprise is that it is collaborative. So... It's co-created. It's the highest, among the highest uh, values are getting together and everyone having their voice and the actual connecting in community. So, um, hmm. yeah, a little bit unique that way. Not just the transcendation, but also how collaborative it is. That's been very important to us. So, yeah, please so it's like out. your clients get together and support each other or how, how does that collaboration? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Very okay. much into the circle. So I, I do men's work there. I do men's transcendation. Kroonadera does women's transcendation. So we get the, the power. And if you look at the symbol, there's a whole lot going on. It's a circle with um, four angles. So you got the, all the directions and the four elements and the four seasons. So mm-hmm. that, that, that shamanic component but the circle is the togetherness. And right now, because of COVID, you know, we're meeting primarily on Zoom. So we create a virtual circle and we feel that energy of, of connection. So, yeah, very circular. And the other, other nice thing about the circle is that it's non-hierarchical. It's mm. how we collaborate versus, you know, top down, you know, authoritarianism, patriarchy. Souls Enterprise is very egalitarian. Mm. Yeah, awesome. That's that, yeah. that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. All right, and anything else you want to say before we finish up? 
<laughs> he dives dives deep into his soul to pull <laughs> the, the secrets of ancient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about spiritual bypassing, which is great. We talked about you know men's work, father wound, mother wound, history, karma, lifetimes, all that gunk. And so, last but not least, oh, and awareness, of course. In a yeah. word, I, I preach awareness. Um, it's always back to awareness. And also what came up in that deep dive <laughs> and the breath <laughs> was the balance. Hmm. And by balance, I mean keeping the levity. It is enlightenment. So let's have the light, right? Hmm. And let's not get overly serious with our practice and this and that, you know. Hmm. We're going to die soon. Let's let's keep that balance and, and levity too and, and have fun with this wild ride, especially with the world and its craziness. Let's <laughs> find the moments of lightness. So yeah, I'll stop there with the lightness. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> laughter is more important than ever. <laughs> Such a good medicine. Yeah, Great medicine laughing away. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks so much for cool. sharing yeah. your story, Prasad, and and uh, you, yeah, re- revealing your the the wisdom of that and and uh, yeah, sharing your light. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was a blast. I deeply appreciate it. A beautiful thought. I think it is important to note that some of the events that Prasad was describing, some people might actually be incredulous at the kind of things that he was describing, like having that level of insight into a a young girl that he was guiding or assisting in life there. Some people might think that that sort of thing is impossible. Uh, Other people might say, wow, that is amazing. That is miraculous. So it might defy their belief a little bit, like they say, that is something truly out of the ordinary. And and it is. (laughs) On the other hand, (laughs) at the same time, it's also a natural expectation that is, which, uh, what I mean to say is, it is an effect of what was happening. So when you do dedicate yourself to understanding your own mind, when you dedicate yourself to understanding others, it stands to reason <laughs> if you practice diligently and in the correct ways, in a, a critical or discerning way, then eventually your skill will advance. So... It, In a sense, these things are miraculous, and they are amazing. They are remarkable. In another sense, these are also what we should expect. When we engage in spiritual pursuits, when we engage in introspection, trying to understand ourselves and others, we can expect these types of things to occur. Also, I think, actually, the other point I wanted to say about Prasad having those questions come up in his mind and the answers suddenly appear after them. Now, of course, Prasad was amazed when the, these questions start getting answered with, with these insightful answers and th- things that are very thought-provoking and things that will keep him wondering or just in a state of amazement at these things for perhaps years to come, wondering about <laughs> that, that unusual day. It's also perhaps the, the thing we should be more curious about is <laughs> the level that Prasad was at that he was just 
<laughs> casually asking himself the, these questions, these really deep, profound questions, as if that was just part of it of his daily life and I suppose it it was and perhaps still is so <laughs> that's something quite remarkable about the the man himself and and about his level of of spiritual practice and inquiry so that's that's quite lovely thank you so much for listening I uh, hope you Take the time to share this with a friend. If you've listened this far, I guess you must have enjoyed it. So <laughs> go ahead, send it to a friend and give them a little reason to listen. If you're listening on the website, some people listen on the website with just the, the anchor interface. Of course, you can download a podcasting app like Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. I like to use Podcast Addict. And this way you can listen to the episodes even when you're on a long bus or plane ride or wherever you're going in the gym. You can still listen to these episodes, having them on your phone there and ready to enjoy at any moment. <laughs> and the finest level of a podcast available for you on demand. Thanks again for tuning in and have a great day. Oh,